Please open your Bible to uh, the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 10. Today we're wrapping up this sermon series on Peter, a man who followed Jesus. We've been looking at his life, learning what it means to be a follower of Christ, asking God to teach us some important lessons. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, and it's this. What is a Christian? If you had to write a definition of a Christian, what would it say? If you look it up in the dictionary, there's the definition. One who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. But I'm not convinced that's a really good definition of a Christian. Because is that all there is to it? Intellectually acknowledging the teaching of Jesus as true. Intellectually saying, I agree with what Jesus said, with what he taught. Is that really what's involved in being a Christian? Is that it? I think that's part of it, but it's a whole lot more than that. And this sermon series, we've been trying to to look at that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be someone who follows Jesus? And the reason I've chosen Peter is because in the Gospels, when Peter was invited by Jesus to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to follow him, we were given the definition of a follower of Christ. And and I started this series with that verse, and I want to end it with that verse that you see on the screen when when Jesus said to Peter and to his brother and to us, really, follow me, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And in that verse, we have the essence of what it means to be a disciple, to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, follow me. It's not just about a set of truths that we acknowledge, that's part of it, but it goes beyond that. It's about a relationship, a relationship of submission. When you follow someone, you go in the direction they tell you to go. You follow after them. And so it's a relationship of love, it's a relationship of obedience, it's a relationship of submission to Jesus as we follow him. But it's also about becoming. He said, I will make you to become. It's about change. It's about growth. It's about transformation. It's about moving beyond where we are to the place that he is leading us. In other words, following Jesus means you can't stay put. You can't stay the way you've always been. You're in the process of becoming as you take this journey of following Jesus. And being a disciple, being a Christian means not only am I following him in a relationship of submission and being changed by him as I become, but I become committed to what he is committed to. I begin to care about what he cares about. And so he says, as you follow me and become, one of the things that's going to happen is you will become committed to my purpose, which is being fishers of men, taking the love of God, the gospel of Jesus to people everywhere, no matter their backgrounds, no matter their circumstance. And so as I begin this sermon, I just want to highlight a a truth. You cannot follow Jesus in obedience and submission. You can't become what he saved you to become. You can't become what he is calling you to become without change. Change is essential. Following Jesus means you move from here in the direction that he is going. You move. You change. When you become, you change. You can't follow Jesus effectively. You can't follow him obediently. You can't follow him in submission to his lordship without change. 
Growth always means change. The illustration I've used for decades is your shrubs. As they grow, they change their shape and size. When you have children and grandchildren, the dynamics of your family change. Learning, movement, progress, growth, becoming always involves change. If you have said to yourself, I'm following Jesus, but there's nothing in my life needs to change. There's nothing in my life that needs to be different. I can stay put. Everything is fine where it is and the way it is. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Growth by necessity means change. Following Jesus in obedience means change is part of your life, and that will continue until the day you die. But following Jesus effectively and becoming what he's called us to become also involves not only change, it involves overcoming. Overcoming things from our past. Past attachments, past thinking, past attitudes. Things that that you maybe have cared about, that you care about deeply right now. And some of those attachments that, that you have, some of those things you care about are good. But you can also be attached to things that are not good. You can be attached to things that are gifts of God, but you can be attached to things that are unholy and wrong. But if you're not careful, you can be so attached to something that's a part of who you are, a part of your background, a part of your past, you can be so attached to it that you don't love Jesus enough to follow him when he says you've got to let go of that. Because you're more attached to it, whatever it is, than you are to Him. And so sometimes following Jesus means you have to let go of some things in your past that are good. You have to let go of some things in your past that are bad, that are keeping you from moving forward in this journey of faith following Jesus Christ. You may have to overcome an attitude from your past, a a, a worldview from your past, thinking from your past, a habit, a lifestyle, a pattern from your past. To follow Jesus into that future, to to become what He's calling you to become, you may have to overcome something in your past, something in your present. It's all part. It's all part of growth. I want to show you a picture. That's a house burning. That's the house my grandfather built in the 1920s. That's the house. I grew up in on the 120-acre farmstead my grandfather purchased. Some years ago, Mom sold that property to a large oil company, a coal company, and they, they built a large coal processing plant on that farm. And they used that house for uh, storage. My sister had lived in it when she first got married. And had, they had bricked it. And uh, so the coal company was tearing it down. They tore the brick off. But rather than demolishing it with a bulldozer or whatever, they decided to burn it. And then they clean up the mess. And so my sister sent me that photograph about a week ago uh, of them burning the home place. And I have to, you know, say when I, when I saw that, I had all kinds of thoughts and feelings. It was, you know, kind of sad. I mean, that that's, was in our family for almost a century. And a lot of history uh, the, our family cemetery is still on that property. We, we own it. My, my father is buried there. My, my grandparents are buried there. Uh, my great-grandparents are buried there. There's a lot of history with that place. When I was a young man and God not only saved me but called me to preach, one of the things 
that I had to struggle with in, in becoming what God wanted me to become and, and following Jesus in the way he wanted was attachments. Because I like the dirt. I grew up on a farm. I just like the smell of dirt. I do. I like that. I like the outdoors. And, and, and I like history. I have my family history back to the 1700s when three brothers came over from Scotland. So all of that matters to me. And I know there are things that matter to each of us in this room and we get attached to them, but if we're not careful, those attachments get in the way. Because my struggle as a young 20-some-year-old preacher when Jesus was working in my life was, am, am I loving him enough to follow his call on my life even if I have to let go of some attachment? Because I already had the spot on that farm picked out where I was going to build my house. It was a nice spot too. And when, when, when Monissa and I moved to Sumter, what you've got to understand, it wasn't because that was the best to unspiritualize it job offer. Okay? I had opportunities to pastor churches. I could have stayed in Kentucky. I could have stayed on that farm. I could have stayed home. I could have been close to home and pastored significant churches. It wasn't because that was the Sumter was the best opportunity or the best job. It was because God placed in my heart this, this call that that was his plan for my life. And if I was going to follow Jesus, I had to do that, even if it meant let, letting go of something that I was attached to. And the reality is we have those moments in our life throughout life. And it's not just the bad things we can become attached to. It's not just bad attitudes. It's, it, there's a lot of things. It can be anything that we love so much that we don't love Jesus enough to continue moving forward in this journey of following him and becoming what he called us to become, becoming a fisher of men, becoming a mature, obedient disciple. And so I want you to, to think today. I, I want you to think about what are those things, maybe what is that one thing, what are those things in your life that need to change? So you can continue following Jesus and become what's next in your life. What are those things that need to change? What are those attachments you love so much they're getting in the way of you following Jesus? They're getting in the way of you becoming what Jesus is directing you to become in life. What is it you care about perhaps too much because you care about it more than you care about Him. What's getting in the way of your call from God? I had a young man talk to me after our first service this morning in tears. I mean, he's in his 30s. He's just choking up. We pray together. Because God got hold of his heart. This, 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 this message affirmed Something because he's made some decisions that have, that have cost him. He's paid dearly in his past. And, and he said to me two weeks ago he had to give up the thing that was hardest for him to give up. And he's standing back, back, back there in tears talking about it, about, about that decision, that experience, but also about the freedom that he now feels. And, and some of you are never going to experience the joy of being in God's will 
if you don't love Him and His will more than you love whatever. Now, I'm not saying that's always easy. But it's always good. It's always good. And Peter is our example because, you see, Peter became a fisher of men. He became someone who followed Jesus and became what Jesus called him to be. But it wasn't instantaneous. It was a journey that took years. It was was a process that continued. And your process is going to continue until you are in heaven face to face with Jesus. But the key is you have to keep moving forward. If you ever stop, you start dying. You don't stand still in your walk with Jesus. You're either going forward or backward. Peter was in process. Peter was on a journey, and he became what Jesus said in the beginning. Follow me. I will make you to become a fisher of men. Peter got there, but he did not start there. And I want us to to look at part of his journey in in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 10 because, you see, all of us, now hear me, all of us start somewhere. I started as a, as, a, as a kid growing up in a non-Christian, non-religious family on a farm in Kentucky. Okay? That was my starting point. I started as someone who knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. Absolutely, you know, very, very, very little about Christianity. That was my starting point. I, I had my culture. I had my belief system. I had all the things that I had inherited good and bad, you have your starting point. We all start somewhere. But for God to get me to this point, some things had to change. I had to overcome, and there's going to be more that I had to change and overcome to keep going forward. Same with you. Your your starting point may be different than mine. That's okay. But you have one. Peter had one, and you're going to see it very clearly today and how God worked in Peter's life to help him overcome his starting point. And your starting point, is, is a lot of it's good. Some of it's not. But you can't stay there. You can't stay there. Last Sunday we had all these graduates. Some of them are seated over here in different places. All these high school graduates. You can't stay. In your spiritual life, in your walk with Jesus, you can't stay. you gotta, you got to journey. Keep becoming. Keep growing. Here's the story in Acts chapter 10. There's so much we don't have time to break it down in great detail. Let me just share with you a story, and you can track with me there in chapter 10. There's there's a man in a city called Caesarea whose name is Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's a man of means. He's a good man, a godly man, a God-fearer. In other words, a, a, a Gentile who worshiped the God of Israel. And the Bible says he and his family were all like that, and they were very generous they, they gave money. They were very generous. He prayed a lot. And one day while he was praying, God sent an angel to Cornelius saying, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. God knows all the good you're doing. And God wants you to send some men to a city called Joppa. And when you get there, you'll find a man named Peter. He will tell you everything you need to know. And so the next day, Cornelius sent three guys two servants and a soldier, to Joppa to find Peter. 
while they were on journey to Joppa, Peter was staying in the house of a, of a fellow believer. And in the middle of the day, Peter goes up on the rooftop to take a, a break, to take a, take a nap. Think of it like your backyard patio or backyard deck. They, they had these flat roofs and steps on the side of the house, the outside of the house. You go, that, was their, that was their outdoor living space. And so Peter's up there waiting for them to fix lunch. He's hungry and he falls asleep. And while he's asleep, God gives him a vision in which he sees this large sheet being lowered by four corners from heaven, and in it are all these animals, four-footed, four-hoofed animals. In other words, the kind of animals, the kind of meat that a devout Jew would never eat because they had, based on Deuteronomy and other passages, some food laws that if you ate these kind of foods, did these certain things, you would become religiously impure and after that you'd have to go through all this ceremony to be religiously pure and right with God again and so a good Jew just would not eat some of that stuff you know pork chops and other good things they just wouldn't eat it it would make them religiously impure and so Peter sees this sheet with these animals that that have unclean meat that no Jew is supposed to eat coming down from heaven and God speaks and says Peter get up kill those animals and eat them and Peter argues with God and says, no, I would never do that. It would make me unclean, be disobedient. I won't do that. A second time, same thing happens. A third time, the same thing happens. Peter wakes up from this vision and begins wondering, thinking, what is this all about? Why do you think God gave him that vision three times that afternoon? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Last Sunday when Peter was talking to Jesus on the Sea of of Galilee after the resurrection, how many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three. How many times did he see this vision? Three. And by the way, do you know how many men traveled from from Caesarea to Joppa to, to get Peter? Three. Do you think God knew how to get Peter's attention? Now, that was no guarantee that Peter would obey, but God knew what he was doing. And by the way, God knows how to get your attention. That doesn't guarantee you'll obey. But God knows how to get through to you and confront you with your reality. Confront you with those things that need to change. Confront you with those things that that you need to not be quite as attached to because they're hindering your fellowship, hindering your obedience to the plan of God for your life. God knows how to speak to you, how to get through, and he will. There are some of you, God's speaking to you right now. God's trying really hard to get through to some of you right now. And while Peter is thinking about this, what does this vision mean? These three guys show up. And God says, Peter, get up, eat that. And then he says, Peter, go with them. And so the next day, Peter and some other believers from there in Joppa travel with these three men to Caesarea. And when they get to Cornelius' house, Cornelius has gathered his family and friends and neighbors. There's a house full. And Peter walks in. And and Cornelius says, here's what happened. I was praying and God sent this angel to me. And so, Peter, we're all here. Tell us everything God's told you. That's a great invitation for a preacher. I could preach all day. Tell us everything we need to know. 
And in verse 28, one of the key verses of chapter 10, Peter said, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew. Peter was a Christian, but he was a Jew who became a believer in Jesus. How unlawful, spiritually, biblically for the Jews, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with a foreigner, with a Gentile, or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. You see, not only was it about the food, but they had taken all these laws and expanded them to the point that if a Jew who was devout even went into the home of a Gentile, he would be religiously unclean and have to get right with God again let alone eat this food. And so a devout Jew did not want to even be contaminated by a Gentile. When God gave Peter that vision of this sheep with these unclean, unholy animals coming down from heaven, God was talking to him about a whole lot more than just meat, talking to him about people. And now here Peter is standing in this Gentile's home and he says, God has shown me that I should not call anything he created that is good unclean or unholy. And in verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. He says, the tradition I inherited that said you are the kind of people I'm not to have anything to do with as a devout Jew has been hindering me from taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ for all humanity. It's been hindering me from doing what Jesus told me to do, hindering me from taking that gospel, that love to people who are not like me, to people who are not my kind of people to people who are different. It's been getting in the way. Peter shared with Cornelius and everyone in the house about Jesus and how to be a believer and be saved and follow Jesus. And they all believed. And the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. And by the way, one of the things about tongues in the book of Acts, you know on Pentecost when the first Christians, you know, first people believed, in the church and the, the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues. In the book of Acts, what so many people miss and so many groups get wrong about tongues, what they miss is in the book of Acts, tongues happened each time the gospel moved across a racial, cultural, or national boundary. Because prior to this, all the believers were Jews who became believers in Jesus. And now you have God-fearers, Gentiles who are already worshiping the God of Israel, becoming believers, and they speak in tongues. And by the way, in the book of Acts, when when the very first Samaritans believed, same thing, and you see this pattern because God was making certain that these Christians, these first Christians in the church in Jerusalem who were of a Jewish background, when they were saved in the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues, he was making certain that as it crossed these various boundaries, the same thing happened so that none of those in Jerusalem, those Jewish Christians, could argue against the legitimacy of people who were not like them being saved because they had the same experience. God always knows what he's doing. God was making it very difficult for them to argue with what he was up to. That was the whole point of it. And so Peter's had a transformation. He's becoming. 
This is after the resurrection of Jesus. Don't know exactly how long, but it's more than a few months. He's still becoming, having to change, having to change his attitude and his thinking, having to change his disposition, having to overcome his heritage, overcome his past religious training to become what Jesus is calling him to become as a disciple, as a fisher of men. Again, I ask, what do you need to change? What do you need to overcome to become what Jesus is calling you to become as a disciple? Well, not everybody was excited about that. In chapter 11, word spreads to the believers in Jerusalem and Judea. And in verse 2, Peter makes his way back to Jerusalem. Chapter 11, verse 2, Peter came up to Jerusalem. Those who were circumcised, that's Christians of a Jewish background. That's the party of the circumcision. They, I mean, Peter, the disciples, these first Christians in Jerusalem were all Jews who became believers in Jesus. They were circumcised Jews that now believed in Jesus. And it says that they took issue with him, saying, you went in verse 3 to uncircumcised men and ate with him. They weren't upset that Peter shared Jesus with them. They were upset that he even talked to him, that he ate with them, let alone shared the gospel with them. And there's this debate that develops in the church in Jerusalem. What does Peter do? He tells the story. He says, here's what happened to Cornelius. God sent an angel to him. Here's what happened to me. I had this vision. And then I go up there. He tells them the whole story. And guess what? Not only did they believe in Jesus, but after they believed in Jesus, they received the Spirit. And they spoke in tongues just like They had the same experience we had. Can't argue with that. And it kind of quieted down. But here's the thing. Now hear me. Sometimes acceptance is just toleration. It's not real change. It's not enthusiastic, passionate support. It's just toleration. Because this issue of Gentiles believing in Jesus without being circumcised like Jews first This issue continued to be an issue in this church in Jerusalem. And so you skip ahead a few years to chapter 15. It's only three chapters in Acts, but it's a decade in history. Paul and Barnabas have been sent out by the church at Antioch as missionaries, finish their first missionary journey and make their way back to Antioch. And and they report to the church that sent them out all God did on that missionary journey planting churches throughout what we today would call Turkey. And that church in Antioch is all excited. By the way, the Antioch church was a predominantly Gentile church. There were some Jews who were followers of Jesus in it, but it was mostly Gentile. And they're all excited. And suddenly some men from Jerusalem show up. It tells us in verse verses... Uh, uh, um, um, I lost my spot. Verses 2 and following. that Some men show up and, and they have this big falling out, this big debate. Because these, these Christians from Jerusalem who are Jews who have become believers in Jesus, therefore they have been circumcised, they still kept the Jewish law even though they were believers of Jesus, they come to Antioch and they begin teaching in that church that you can't follow Jesus unless you're circumcised first. 
and it becomes a controversy. And it seems silly to us, but it was a big deal to them in that, di- in that time. Look at verse 2. Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and debate with them. I mean, it was a huge, huge controversy. The church was falling apart because of it. And so Paul, Barnabas, and some others traveled from Antioch to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and the other apostles and the leaders of the mother church to have this big discussion and try to settle once and for all, hopefully, this critical issue. And so Paul and Barnabas are sharing with the church in Jerusalem. Here's what God did on our missionary journey. And people are starting to get excited. And all of a sudden, in chapter 15 and verse 5, the sect to the Pharisees who had believed, The Pharisees were a religious group within Judaism, very devout. But some of the Pharisees became Christians, became believers in Jesus. And these Pharisees, who were now believers in Jesus, members of the church in Jerusalem, start arguing with with, with Paul and Barnabas. And it says in verse 5, they began saying to the whole church in Jerusalem, it's necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. In other words, they had to become Jews before they become Christians, even though they're of Gentile background. And there's this big debate. And finally, Peter speaks up. It's been a decade. He says, hey, guys, you remember what happened to me a decade ago with Cornelius? And they had the same experience we had, so we can't argue with it. And eventually, it settles down. And they decide, okay, we can't argue with God. But the saddest thing to me about this story is even though they got it up here, they never really got it in here. I'm talking about the church in Jerusalem. Because the great church in the book of Acts is not the church in Jerusalem, it's the church in Antioch. The church in Jerusalem was one that saw thousands of people saved on Pentecost, and it grew and it grew and it grew, but it never reached beyond its borders. And it always struggled with this issue of the gospel being for anyone who would not first be circumcised. They said, yes, go and do it. It's of God. We we can't argue with you. Go do it. But when you continue in the book of Acts, toward the end of the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem was still struggling with this issue, and eventually the church in Jerusalem moved into decline and death because they could never move beyond the attachment of their past to become what Jesus was calling them to become. And it was the church at Antioch That became the mission-sending church, the evangelistic church. It was the church at Antioch that when you read Christian history was the great church in the first and second century. It wasn't the church in Jerusalem. It's the one in Antioch. See, our past does not guarantee a great future. Because as we travel with Christ, as we journey with Him in our individual lives and in our collective lives as a family of faith, that journey continues. It will continue. And change and overcoming, change and overcoming, change and overcoming in my life, in your life, and in our life together is always part of the journey. And God tries to show us. Now, I am so thankful Peter spoke up. Peter became a fisher of men. Let me wrap this up. One more lesson. We're always on journey, and sometimes we slip back a little bit. You ever slip back? 
And God has to remind us so we can keep moving forward. In your notes, Galatians chapter 2, this is after the Jerusalem Council. Peter travels up to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas are staying. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 11, And when Cephas, that's Peter, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. What does that mean? That means Paul got in Peter's face and said, Peter, you are wrong. Because he stood condemned. Why did he stand condemned? For prior to the coming of certain men from James, from the church in Jerusalem, James was the pastor, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He used to eat with the Gentiles. So here Peter, God had done this work in his life through Cornelius. Peter knew God loved Gentiles and it was okay to hang out with them, eat with them, and share the gospel with them. And here he is in Antioch, this Gentile city, this predominantly Gentile church, and he's eating with these Gentile Christians, these Gentile believers, until these guys from the Jerusalem church who were of Jewish background that still believed you had to be circumcised before you could be saved showed up. And he tells us in verse 2 that when they showed up, Peter began to withdraw, hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. That's those Jewish Christians who still believed in circumcision. And the rest of the Jews, the other Jewish believers in Antioch, joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, Barnabas who had traveled with Paul on these missionary journeys to the Gentile world, Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. See, Peter, he slipped back. And when he did, he influenced others in a negative way, not a positive way, until Paul said, Peter, you're being like a hypocrite right now. Peter, you're wrong. Why are you slipping back? So Peter became a fisher of men. But the journey is always, always in progress. So I don't know how old you are. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I don't know how active you've been in church. But hear me. Whatever your situation, whatever your starting point back here, your journey's journey's not done. You, You may be elderly, you may have been saved for decades, you may have been active in church for decades, your journey's not over. There is still more that God is going to do in your life. There's still more growth, there's still more learning, there's still more maturing, and that means there's still more change and overcoming that has to happen. And if if you're settling, you're making a mistake. If you think you've got it all figured out and you're okay where you are right now in every way in your life, oh, God's got more for you. And so, so I, I ask you again, what, what needs to change? What do you need to overcome? I take you back as I wrap up with, to the, to the first verse I started with. Mark, follow me, Jesus says. Follow me, follow me, follow me, and I will make you to become. I will make you to become, to become, to become, to become fishers of men. Listen, the Christian life begins and ends with that one verse. That's it. 
It's about a relationship of following Jesus in submission. It's about becoming whatever and everything he calls you to become. And ultimately, you're involved in his mission, committed to his mission and his purpose in life. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. That's it. That's it. And so, are you fishing for men? Are you a fisher of men? Have you become a fisher of men? Are you committed to the mission Jesus has for life, for you and for this church? Are you, are you fishing for men? Are you being a positive influence or a negative influence in this church when it comes to us being that verse? Positive influence or a negative influence? Are you becoming? Are you overcoming? Are you helping us become? Are you helping us overcome? Or are you hindering and holding back? In your own life, are you becoming? Are you overcoming? Or are you stuck? Are you standing still? Which is it? Jesus said, follow me. Okay? And I will make you become. I'm going to change you. And then you're going to be committed to what I'm committed to. And you'll overcome whatever you have to overcome be committed to that are you becoming and are you fishing or are you settling are you Jerusalem or Antioch Jerusalem or Antioch let's stand the pastors are here at the altar team's going to lead us in singing while we worship respond the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you listen to him obey him pray here at this altar pray with the pastor, pray with the counselor if you're joining this church come and say to one of these pastors I want to join First Baptist be committed to help this church fulfill its mission if you need to give your life to Jesus, we'll lead you in prayer as you commit your life to Christ. We'd love to answer your questions. Let us help you. So you come and make your decision right now. Let's sing together.